Hello, friend. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Zach Holt, and this is Come to the Table. Some of our most intimate conversations happen at the kitchen table. Walls crumble as space is created to know one another more deeply. Hurt and heartache are replaced by hope and healing when we pull up a chair, let down our guard, and simply be who we are, where we are. In our time together, we will step into the shoes of others through recovery stories of redemption, offer resources and connections for those in need, and come together as a community starving for revival in our region. So if you're hungry, you've come to the right place. Well, hey guys, uh, we're so excited to have you with us. Uh, today we've got a, a dear friend of mine, uh, Tomeskin, and so he's going to share with us part of his uh, story, part of his journey, and we are so excited to have you taking time out of your day to listen to us. Uh, so this has come to the table, and uh, friend, we're so glad you're here. So Tomeskin, why don't you uh, say hi, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and we'll, we'll jump into your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, um, my name is Tomeskin Sadu. Um, I'm currently, I'm 41 years old now. Um, still look like a college student. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am still a college student. <laughs> yeah, it's full circle, but um, just a good, in a good space in my life right now. Uh, and, um, going to school in a Mark 117 program. And, um, so yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, okay. So you're a good place now, but it hasn't always been that way. It hasn't. So let's 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 run it all the way back. Um, now, uh, Sadu, that sounds like a name from from Georgia or Florida. Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Good almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so tell me a little bit about tell me a little bit about growing up there and, and kind of that part of your story. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was born during a civil war in Ethiopia, and and. Um, Never really kind of met my dad, but my mom, uh, she kind of was one of the fighters, came in. So uh, my childhood was kind of rough. And, and um, so, but eventually she, uh, my mom was able to come here and then brought me here as well. As soon as she finished college, she was still a college student. She wasn't kind of stable yet. So my life always kind of been a lot of cons consistent changes and moving around everywhere. Um, and never really had consistency. So, um, and then coming to America, I had a hard time kind of adjusting as well, uh, uh, kind of finding where I belong. Uh, so um, I struggled with that a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where majority of my struggle in life is, is in that, you know, finding where I belong, where my identity is. And, and from there, um, that's where I am. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think, um, what, what part of, of you and your behavior and your story, like what, what part of that made it so hard for you to feel like you fit in? Because I think a lot of us, a lot of us in, in recovery, we, we struggle on a couple of different levels. We struggle with acceptance, we struggle with significance, and we struggle with security. Um, and and in, in my story, one of the big drivers for my addiction was not feeling accepted and mm -hmm. not feeling like I mattered. So right. acceptance and significance were huge things for me. Um, so tell me a little bit, get a little bit more detail about, you know, what made you feel like you didn't fit in? Was it things people said or was it internal or share a little bit more about that? I think it's both internal and, and, and uh, mainly because growing up, I kind of didn't, uh, I didn't fit in with the, I, I kind of was an outcast in my family. So it kind of got worse when I came to America. I, I was from foreign land and, and I didn't really speak English that well. 
And so kind of finding identity to find somebody that I can fit in with, be accepted, that was a struggle for me at early stage. And 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 even though I couldn't even kind of rely on my family at that time because they, um, I was kind of, I, I didn't grow up with my family, grow up with my grandparents. So um, that part was hard, uh, adjusting and being accepted, especially coming to America. Um, so I had a hard time finding who do who do who do I who do I hang out with who do who do I be friend with who do be I get accepted with. Uh, so that was a struggle a lot, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, early stage. And so then, how did how how did the um, how did the substances come in? How did all that start? When did all that start? And then, what what was the early days in in that experience like? So early in high school, uh, I was still doing good. You know, I was doing good in school and. Um, but I kind of, I was very naive and being new to America as well. So I kind of went with the wrong crowd at early stage. And um, my mom hit the panic button mm. uh, quick and shipped me to with my aunt in Virginia. Um, so from there, that to them, I guess they was kind of seeing it as solving an issue, but to me it was like another change in my life, another move. Uh, so I kind of started rebelling at that stage. So I started with marijuana, simple personal weed, and I drink it every now and then. And then when I went to college, I think when it took off, because now I was outside that family structure completely. Yeah. And and on, in college, that's all it was. And we had a lot of free time. We had a lot of. Um, it's easy to make wrong choices in college if mm -hmm. you, if your head is not in the right space. So that's where my drug use took off, mm -hmm. early college, and um, and just went from there. It didn't stop, no matter how much I tried to control it. And and I dropped out of college after two years at that stage. But no matter how much I tried to control it on my own. Or kind of manage it and still continue it didn't help i just withdrew more and more from my family completely outcasted from my family and and um i started going get the drugs kind of made me started making me feel like life is okay and no matter what so no matter how many bad choices i made from there on the drugs continue making me feel like it's okay mm. and and uh, my life continues going down the spiral from there mm. So it's interesting because I think there there's something like biologically different about uh, the way uh, an addict's brain works as as opposed to someone else. Uh, and what I mean by that, for example, um, is uh, my mom, love her heart, um, she'll have a, a, a glass of wine every once in a, a year or something maybe. Um, and and but she stops there because if she has you know any more than a glass, then then it's like oh I, I feel out of control. Right. And she doesn't like, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, so so that's the threshold. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but my experience in my story is like you give me a couple of drinks, you give me a couple of pills. Now I feel in control. Right. Yeah. So the opposite happens. Yeah. Right. So all of that lack of control that I feel like I experience in my life through instability, through turbulence, through, you know, lack of acceptance, lack of significance, lack of security through mm -hmm. all of that. You put some narcotics in my system and now all of a sudden I feel in control. You know, I'm 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Definitely. I think that I am, I become the person intoxicated. Like I become the person that everybody always wished that I was, right? Exactly. The best me, you know, yes. the best version of yes. myself. And and so 
as you were sharing your story, and, and that word control is just is, is so important uh, for us to realize that we can't control, right? Yes. Uh, many of us uh, know the serenity prayer. Uh, it says, uh, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things uh, I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the power to know the difference. And my early sponsor, mentor, he, he told me that happiness begins with, so, with one simple principle, uh, that some things are in your control and some things aren't. Mm -hmm. Um, right. And so when I'm trying to control the uncontrollable, I have no serenity. Mm -hmm. Um, and essentially that's, that's what I heard in that part of your story. And what I experienced is that really, um, my wife calls it grabbing sand, uh, Mm -hmm. because the the more tightly you try and grab sand, the more of it runs through your fingertips. And so it's like the more we try and control, uh, the more we try and manage, uh, the less control and the more unmanageable right. uh, our lives become. Yes. And, and then we, we use more because we think yeah. if I could just use more, then I can control yeah, more. Control. But actually, I can control less and it gets even crazier uh, than, it, than it did before. So as your story continues, um, you know, you, you leave college uh, after you said a couple of years, a couple of yeah, semesters. Like, two, two, say two or three years max. Okay. Okay. Out. Okay. And then um, where'd your where'd your story go from there? Oh, so <laughs> in my mind, you know, I, I, it's crazy how we used to think we use these words like drug enhances who I am uh, going through what she said. So I felt like at this point, I don't need no school. You know, I'm, I'm I can do life. And, and so I went in, started working and um, continued uh, kind of continued. I have a daughter. I had a daughter at that time. So um, just working and, and trying to be a functional addict. I guess that's what they call it. So, uh, but I just continue going, continue going worse. And and um, at one point, I realized that my life was getting really out of control. And me and my uh, mother, my child, got separated. Yeah. So I did my own research, and I found out something called um, Sebastian. I guess. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I, to be a functional addict, I can go to work on this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't to a doctor, but through the street, mm-hmm. uh, I went and got on it. And that's kind of like when I tried to manage my addiction myself. Mm-hmm. And, and it just continued getting worse. But I was on it for three, four years on the street, working, but living um, on the street. I even lived in a storage, <laughs> storage place. Yeah. Uh, to save our money but so that's 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 kind of where uh, it went from there mm-hmm. uh, but the drug use continued as well and I, I started getting worse worse I think I started with marijuana and then alcohol and then I got into opiate and I used to go from hospital to hospital trying to get prescriptions trying to uh, try to manage my addiction mm-hmm. and then it went to uh, went to, from opiate I think I went to Sebastian to kind of manage it then went to coke and 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 uh, so it just continued getting worse, man. Uh, I say during the whole three four years of the uh, COVID epidemics, I was literally on the street getting high every day. Mm-hmm. Got to a point where I think the only time I actually wasn't high is when I fell asleep. That's mm-hmm. if I fell asleep. Yeah. So, um, would you say that that was a season of your life where you had, you know, cause it sounds like on the front end of your story, like the, you know, the drugs kind of brought you maybe some, some happiness and yeah. enthusiasm. Would you say that that season through COVID navigate, would you say that was a season of happiness and joy? No, no. That's the, that's the crazy thing about drugs is when we first start 
drugs, it's it's completely different than how we end up with it. Yeah. And before we uh, we realize we're going down the wrong way, is um, the beginning. It's fun. You might I even felt like it was enhancing who I was. But eventually, like you said, I think it took me to a to a very very dark place. And uh, I think a, a point I was sometimes I was using not to even be alive, man. Like I didn't even care to be alive anymore. So uh, yeah, absolutely, man. It's it's it wasn't for fun no more. Mm-hmm. It was it was to survive or or not to live no more. Mm-hmm. It's crazy as the sound it, it, during those time addiction where I needed a drug to survive, mm-hmm. but at the same time I knew I was killing myself. Yeah. Why trying to survive? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and 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 that's the crazy part. Uh, towards the end, yeah. I think. You just you kind of it's mm-hmm. be, before you throw in the white flag. You kind of like, do I want to live? Do I want to die? Yeah. But in the midst of addiction, you don't have no control. Yeah. You, you just going. Absolutely, yeah. And the and the very thing you know, it's crazy. We'll get back to this. You know, some of the lies that we believed, you know, that that we know are no longer true. Um, but it's like in the midst of our addiction, uh, you know, I was a you know opiate pain medication, heroin, all of the, all that, and and it was crazy because. I thought that they were taking my pain, but they were really making my pain, mm-hmm. right? And so, and so we think that that thing that's making my life better is actually choking me mm-hmm. of my life, yeah. you know. That and that's the the deception and the darkness uh, that that is um, shrouded, you know, in, in addiction is, is that the, that we think this thing is helping us, it's making us better, but mm-hmm. but really, tomb by or you know, brick by brick, stone by stone, we're actually building our own tomb. We're actually building uh, our own prison and that's what I, I love about God's grace is that even though uh, we are the ones who entomb and imprison ourselves that he still sees fit out of his great love for all people uh, yeah. to step into that and to set us free yeah. out of that but uh, in order to get to that place like we the pain has to be greater than yes. our fear of being without it yes. uh, and that is a high threshold for many yeah. of us we've got to go a long way so Couple more years go by. How do you how do you end up at Bristol Lifestyle Recovery, where where we met? Good question. Uh, rock bottom. So uh, and uh, I think one uh, I looked at rock bottom different ways, you know. I, and I struggled a lot during this time. Uh, been on the street. We didn't have nothing. Detox in the car. Went from hospital to hospital. Homeless. But none of that helped me. Made me stop. Somehow, somehow, I got back on. Continue using and. One of the eye opening my sponsor told me was, if your rock bottom is when your pain, I think has to be greater than me having, me wanting to use or pick up again, mm-hmm. and 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 um, I got to that point I think after the COVID uh, epidemics, I was just continuously getting high and um, I went to jail, and they uh, let me out on PR bond, and the day I got out, jail I went to quickly to using it again mm-hmm. and I went on a run for a couple months uh, and when they finally caught up with me put me back in jail I say about six months so uh, let me out five-year probation six seven months five-year probation and let me back out in the street knowing that I'm on probation knowing that I got a felony charge two three months down the road again I started using it again mm. So, at this point, it wasn't the law or nothing. 
I think I realized how powerless I was. Mm. And 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 my my pain, I already had enough pain accumulated throughout that time till I got to that stage that I was like, this pain is not it just it's too much. Yeah. It's too much Absolutely. that I have to I wanted something different. I wanted something different for me, my kids. So that's when I checked into uh, Fairfax Hospital. Mm. I packed my bags. I didn't tell anybody. And 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 I had everything, the drugs, everything in my hand at that point to continue using until I wore out or until I ran out. Yeah. But picking my backpack and walking to a hospital and checking in was felt like the best choice I could ever make for myself at that moment. Mm. That's good. That's yeah. good. So that was your 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 white flag moment. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, my white flag moment. Yeah. Definitely, it's, definitely. It's wild when you when you're talking about recovery and when you're talking about faith. It's the only context where you know uh, a, an admission of defeat is acceptance of victory. Yes. Right when you acknowledge or you concede, like this thing has beaten me, I am powerless. That that is actually the most empowering thing you can say is that you are powerless. Yes, and it's that awareness that look, this thing has kicked me around, it's busted me up, it has beat me over and over and over again. But somewhere in the midst of that powerlessness, uh, the grace of God is enough. Yes. So my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect yes. in weakness. And uh, when we are weak, we allow God to be strong in our lives. And so Fairfax County Hospital, come to BLR. What's yeah, yeah. So BLR, um, as I said, it was it was the hardest part was checking into the hospital. Not so I came in, went came to BLR, and um, so in BLR I'm in Bristol. First of all, I didn't know Bristol existed. I thought Richmond. North Carolina, so find out Southwest Virginia just ends ends after, after, you, Richmond. after Richmond. It's yeah, just yeah. It's like the abyss of uncivilized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was <laughs> so Bristol. Bristol was Bristol was like when I first I remember when first coming here, man. Bristol felt like heaven to me, man. It was it was it, if I would have had a picture of where all like kind of guy people live, <laughs> Bristol. It, it just that's what I meant. It was from where I came. It was a lot of city chaos and a lot of crazy stuff. Bristol was peaceful, and then and 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 a lot of time when I I did I tried recovery twice before the Bristol, and um, after I came out, a lot of time I have to kind of go out and find my spirituality find my uh what i can relate to to help me you know level up in life in bristol they came to me and it, it was bible studies it was a lot of good like i'll say like a lot of religious rich spiritual people uh, a lot of um god people so that helped me level up a lot and when i say level up level up with god level up with people level up with my family mm-hmm. uh, uh so me, uh, what happened is I was able to, because uh, it was a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, yes. a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. That really start coming out when you leave the drugs alone, mm-hmm. and and to be for me, uh, for, to be able to level up, and and move on in life, and and and. F- not not feel worse about myself. God played a big role in that. Mm-hmm. I, he helped me level up in life, with, uh, and and that that's that's plays a big role with me today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Thanksgiving with my family this this past week for uh, Boston, and to even be able to sit in a chair with them, not f- mm-hmm. uh, and, and and that God played a role in that. He he made me feel like. 
I'm okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing different. Mm-hmm. And and um, so yeah, yeah. God, God, uh, Bristol. That's what Bristol did for me. It helped me rediscover myself, mm-hmm. uh, bring dignity and my pers- my first identity mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And and uh, yeah. That's and cool. then uh, got included in discipleship program. Yeah. So Mark one seventeen. You know, Zach, you a big, big, big part of my life, man. I don't think I'll be here if it wasn't for your guidance today, man. And just made me see everything different, man. It's not um, mainly spiritual, but not just spiritual, just as a man, man, to, to have a fulfilled life, mm-hmm. not to just pursue a full life. Because mm-hmm. coming in recovery early in Bristol, uh, it was easy to have a full life. Go work a job, mm-hmm. buy some clothes, buy some shoes, buy a car, but... I think you made me kind of look at things different where be patient. Uh, f- to have a fulfilled life, it might take you some time, but it's so much more uh, fulfilling and, and, and so much more rich, so much more better. So yeah, I do all you grateful for, for letting me be patient uh, to become, uh, to, to continue growing as a man I am today, man. That's good. That's good. It's a, man, it's a blessing to get to walk with you, bro. Yeah, for real. Um, you know, one thing we, we kind of say, like half kidding, but it's also uh, completely true, is, is that you, you can't microwave a biscuit, yeah. right? You know, you can you can prep the dough, you can, but you can't microwave a biscuit. And and there are some things in life that can't be zapped. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can't be can't microwave a biscuit. Um, and uh, recovery is one of those things um, because I think you can have a, a full life real fast. Um, but I believe personal conviction is that you can't. Uh, you know, be fulfilled unless your life is filled full with God uh, and, and allowing whatever, however that expresses itself, himself in your life. Uh, you know, when, when you're walking in the fullness of that, then you find fulfillment and contentment because I searched high and low and every narcotic imaginable. And, and I never found contentment in this life from this life, uh, never provided that for me, uh, that the peace and the serenity that I feel now uh, is a result of what I'm able to pour into others. And I think I, I see that kind of cooking and brewing in your life as you're pursuing classes at Highlands and starting to do some groups at BLR, leading some of that. You know, uh, we, you know, we say that you're not truly free until you're helping others find freedom. Yeah. And, and living into that freedom uh, that, that God has made a way for uh, is, is like catalyzed uh, by your willingness to step back in. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi uh, lived 500 or so years ago and. And he says that we find ourselves when we lose ourselves in the service of others. Uh, and there's something in recovery we say all the time, you got, if you want to keep it, you got to give it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's where you find the fulfillment. And, and I, I look around sometimes at the, the work that we're enable, able to do and all you guys that are just growing in, in recovery and growing in spirituality. Um, and it's like, man, this, this, is what, this is what it was all for. Yeah. You know, how something is, as poisonous as, as cocaine and methamphetamine and heroin and all of that, that, that poison can be repurposed to produce an antivenom, you know, an antidote. Uh, for that very thing that was trying to kill us and rob us of our lives. And, and so when you were sharing, and I think it's something that, that a lot of people uh, who are in recovery and just a lot of people, period, uh, are going to be able to relate to is you talked about shame uh, a couple of times. And uh, I would say that guilt and shame are a little bit different. Guilt says, uh, I did a bad thing. Shame says, I'm a bad person. And 
shame is, is absolutely a lie. Uh, shame says I'm, I'm a bad person, that because of my activity, this is how I see my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you uh, come into recovery and you're covered with shame, which one was the, the one from Peanuts that had that cloud that like followed him around? Uh, uh, Pigpen. So Pigpen, he was one of the characters on the Peanuts, and everywhere he went, he had this, like, cloud around him and all these, like, yeah. flies buzzing, smelled real bad, apparently, you know, and it was like everywhere Pigpen went, there was this, like, cloud uh, that followed him, and, and that's how a lot of us feel when we come into recovery, even though uh, we're we're clean from narcotics, we still have that cloud of shame that's just following us, that stinks, mm-hmm. man, that shame is, is awful, and it, and it takes away from what God is trying to do in our lives, and so... You believed a lie that you were a bad person because of what you did. You believed a lie that you didn't fit in. You believed a lie that you didn't belong. Um, what what of those of those lies that you once believed, like that you've now been set free from? Like, what do you believe to be true about Temeskin today? Man, that's that's a very good question because uh, that shows both sides of my of my life now and my addiction and my recovery, which is isolation and sharing and that's the two big difference in my life today is uh what shame and and guilt did to me is isolate more eventually to myself from family from what's good for me i felt comfortable isolated and 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 in recovery today i think to our max 17 program to the career path I'm in now with to help people that come to the table. We do uh, every Sunday evening meeting new people to, to connect with. What I do is I went from being completely isolated, lost person in a dark place to open light shining and, 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 and sharing person. Mm. So I try and connecting with people today, which I didn't before. I I avoided connection with people, you know. I hated people. I hate how people looked at me during my addiction, and and so I avoid now. I actually go run find people that was lost like me, you know, to our table ministry. So now it's like I I'm looking to find a way I can share this joy I have, man, mm. this light I have. Uh, uh, so sharing is is so basically isolation went to sharing that's good and i went from being me just for me alone in the dark to being open finding people go finding people connecting with people and how can i share what i found today with you Mm. uh that's really good that's really good you know and and it's almost like we have found this 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 life giving you know it's like you, you you're in the desert and you got this big jug of like ice cold lemonade it's like so cold it's like dripping down the sides and and here it is in the middle of the Sahara and it's just like so hot that everything is like all wavy and just crazy and it's like here you are in the midst of that all that desert and all that heat and you've got this beautiful like ice cold jug of lemonade and and, and it's like you you see somebody walking through the desert that's just like lips all chapped and they can't even cry out out because their mouth is so dry, drenched in sweat, like can't take another step. 
And it's like, that's the joy of, of what we get to do is like, we've discovered this thing that is like going to keep us from, you know, it's going to be that living water that quenches our thirst. We're never thirsty again. And it's like the way that we keep that is to give that away, to see the other person walking through the desert, through that season in the wilderness and say, look, man, I, I've got the answer. Yeah. Like I've got something that is going to quench that thirst because I think people are, they're thirsty for acceptance. They're thirsty mm-hmm. for significance. They're thirsty for security. They want to know that they matter. They want to know they fit in and they want to know that they belong and that they're safe. And it's like through all of our struggles, I think we have developed and built and, and discovered something that's just, it's just incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. So we got about a, a minute left and the question I always ask it at the end of our interviews is what do you, what do you say to the person who is out there in the midst of their addiction in the midst of their hopelessness? What do you say in 30 seconds to that person? Uh, there is hope, you know. There is, uh, there is good in you, cause uh, no matter in that, in, in the worst night of my life, worst day of my life, what I have told myself, what people had told me, um, I come to see today there is something good in me. There is a purpose in me, and 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 um, there is something you can change your life starting today, and and it's never too late, and 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 um. Just, just reach out, and, you know, and, and, and it will get better. That's right. Oh, man, so good. Well, hey, I want to thank you all for joining us on this episode of Come to the Table. We hope that it has either been an encouragement to your recovery or created in you a curiosity about what it means to live into a radical new mindset of selfless service to others. If you'd like to know more about our ministry or for coaching on how you can more faithfully walk with others in their time of need, we would love to connect with you and pour into you. If you're interested in recovery resources uh, or creating spaces for spiritual growth, you can reach out to us at thetablebristol117 at gmail.com or look us up at thetableministries.com. You do not have to walk this road alone. Hope, redemption, beauty from ashes, light from dark are all closer than you know. So grace and peace to you, my friend.